the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to talk with author Chip Ingram. He's also a pastor. His book is Why I Believe, Straight Answers to Honest Questions About God, the Bible, and Christianity. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with the Director of Congressional and Executive Branch Relations at the Heritage Foundation, Tommy uh, Binion. We're going to talk about the President's uh, expected executive order this week that's going to roll back health insurance regulations put in place under the previous administration. We'll talk about what those uh, rollbacks will likely be. And finally, we'll talk with Joan Lippis with Novea Ministry. There, uh, She is hosting a, um, a seminar, Israel and the Church, the Untold Story. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October the 20th through the 22nd at New Hope Church here in Clackamas. We'll tell you more about that when she joins us uh, in the five o'clock hour. But first, to look at some of the news, fierce winds are forecast uh, all the way uh, through Thursday. Wildfires in California continue to blaze throughout the northern part of the state, raising the death toll now to 21. A red flag warning was issued for the area in combination with a wind advisory, which has made it very difficult to fight this This series of fires indicating strong winds and uh, warm, dry conditions that could result in extreme burning conditions, the National Weather Service said. There is high fire danger expected in the North Bay Mountains and East Bay Hills by uh, this evening. The, The National Weather Service said it anticipated winds would decrease by Thursday afternoon through Friday before picking up again. 22 wildfires are currently raging in the famed Northern California wine country and have destroyed at least 3,500 homes and businesses so far. That's according to California officials. The devastation is enormous, says the Sonoma County Sheriff Robert Giordano. We can't even get into most areas. The fires are considered the third deadliest and most destructive blazes in the state's history. And, of course, they are not contained in any of the... and any of them. The death toll, as I mentioned, has risen to 21 as of today, according to California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection Chief Ken Pimlot. At a news conference earlier today, he described the deadly fires as a serious, critical, catastrophic event. 8,000 firefighters have been deployed to battle the flames and are focused on protecting lives and property. There are still several hundred that are unaccounted for, and the hope is that they simply cannot communicate because that has been uh, been a challenge in that area. The number uh, of reported missing persons also rose. Um, in fact, that number has risen to 600. I think I uh, mentioned it was up from 200 the day before, according to authorities. But they say, again, that uh, could be caused by the chaotic conditions. Officials expect the number of uh, missing persons to drop, but are asking people to mark uh, themselves as safe on the official registry and alert authorities. As the fire and wind move, uh, new evacuations were ordered by authorities. Fire officials combed through neighborhoods in Calistoga in Napa Valley early Wednesday morning, warning people that they needed to leave. Uh, More evacuations for Sonoma County were ordered as well after flames engulfed 44 square miles of the area. Orders were also put in place for Green Valley, 
uh, in uh, Solana uh, County as well. And again, the uh, 3,500 homes have been destroyed. Uh, We know of 21 deaths, but there are some 600 people who are yet to be accounted for. And again, they hope that number will be reduced uh, rather considerably. Well, the investigation in Las uh, Las Vegas continues as to the motivation and any connections that may have existed uh, between the gunman and others uh, who either knew of his intentions or were involved in helping him. Uh, We did learn today that uh, the gunman's girlfriend has been added to the travel watch list. As you might recall, she was in um, uh, the Philippines at the time the event took place. She had left just a week or two before. $100,000 had been wired there presumably to her, but she, when she returned to the United States, said she knew nothing about what was happening. Um, and apparently she is considered a person of interest, even at this point. She was the companion of the Las Vegas shooter, Stephen Paddock. She's been put on that government watch list as the FBI continues to press her for information about the worst mass shooting in modern American history. Well, Mary Lou Danley has been uh, designated uh, a, a transportation secretary administration selectee, meaning authorities will be notified if she attempts to board any commercial flight. The travel designation will require her to undergo extra screening, will notify authorities if she tries to leave the country on a commercial flight to law enforcement uh, sources uh, clarified. At this stage of the investigation, officials believe that um, Danley played no part in and had no knowledge of her now deceased boyfriend's plan to open fire on concert goers from the Mandalay Hotel uh, last week, killing 59 people and injuring more than 500 others before killing himself. On Friday, Matthew Lombard, uh, her attorney, told reporters that she continues to cooperate with authorities. Investigators believe that uh, Danley's relationship with Paddock changed over time, evolving from intimate companion, authorities said, to more of a caretaker for him. Uh, uh, Danley said in a statement read by her attorney last week, I knew Stephen Paddock as a kind, caring, quiet man. I loved him and hoped for a quiet future together with him. She added that she feared when uh, Paddock bought her a plane ticket to the Philippines and wired her a significant sum of money that it was a way of breaking up with her. The travel designation, secondary security screening selectee, will uh, appear on her boarding pass at the airport and indicates Uh, Authorities want to be alerted if uh, she, a Filipino uh, native, uh, wants to travel under the Australian passport she holds, makes any effort to travel out of the region or out of the country on a commercial flight. Meanwhile, a maintenance worker said today that he told hotel dispatchers to call police and report a gunman had opened fire with a rifle inside the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino Hotel before the shooter began firing from his high-rise suite into a crowd at a nearby musical performance. The revised timeline has renewed questions about whether better communication might have allowed the police to respond more quickly and take out the gunman before he committed the deadliest mass shootings in modern U.S. history. Worker Stephen Shuck, he says he was checking out a report of a jammed fire door on the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay when he heard gunshots and a hotel security guard who had uh, been shot in the leg peeked out from an alcove and told him to take cover. As soon as I started to go to the door, he said... Uh, to uh, my left, the round started coming down the hallway, uh, Shuck said. I could feel them pass right behind my head. Well, it was kind of a uh, relentless, so I called over the radio what was going on. As soon as the shooting stopped, we made our way down the hallway, took cover again, and then the shooting started again, presumably outward toward the concert goers. Police said Monday they believe the gunman uh, shot a hotel security guard through the door of the suite six minutes before he unleashed a barrage of bullets into the crowd 
of uh, concert goers killing uh, 59. The injured uh, guard used his radio and possibly a hallway phone to call uh, hotel dispatchers for help. And again, that timeline continues to be investigated. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll talk with Chip Ingram. He's the author of Why I Believe, Straight Answers to Honest Questions About God, the Bible, and Christianity. And also in the five in the five o'clock hour, yes, we'll talk with Joan Lippis with Novea Ministries. She's going to talk about a seminar she's holding that's coming up the 20th through the 22nd. That's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Israel and the Church, the Untold Story. More on that in the next hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday threw out an appeals court ruling that struck down the president's previous temporary travel ban targeting several Muslim-majority nations, countries that have uh, now expired. In a one-page order, the court acted in one of two cases pending before the nine Uh, justices over Trump's travel ban, a case from Maryland brought by the American Civil Liberties Union, which sued to stop the ban, continued uh, rather contained in a March executive order. For now, the court did not act on a separate challenge brought by the state of Hawaii, which the court had also agreed to hear. That case also features a challenge to a separate 120-day refugee ban, which has not yet expired. Well, that case could yet be dismissed once the refugee ban expires on October 24th, meaning the court remains unlikely to issue a final ruling on whether the ban was lawful. Well, the justices were unanimous in deciding against ruling in the Maryland case, although one of the liberal justices Justices Sonia Sotomayor, she noted that she would not have wiped out the appeals court ruling. The justices had been scheduled to hear arguments in the case on Tuesday, but removed it from their calendar after Trump's 90-day ban expired on the 24th of last month and was replaced with a reworked ban. The expired ban had targeted people from Iran, Libya, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, and Sudan. The new open-ended ban scheduled to take effect October 18th removed Sudan from the list while blocking people from Chad, North Korea, and certain government officials from Venezuela from entering the United States. The administration has urged the court to dismiss both cases while the challenges have asked the justices to uh, rule on the issue. The court in June agreed to take up the two cases and allowed the travel ban, which uh, had been blocked by lower courts, to go into effect with certain changes. Among the issues raised uh, is whether the travel ban discriminated against Muslims and violation of the U.S. Constitution's prohibition on the government favoring or disfavoring a particular religion. The new ban, Trump's third, including one issued in January that was blocked by lower courts, could affect tens of thousands of potential immigrants and visitors to the United States from those countries listed. Opponents have already challenged that ban in court. The president had promised as a candidate a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States, which really is the heart of the controversy over the bans that he has as president introduced that did uh, did not uh, do that, but did suggest that that was a motivation. Meanwhile, the leaders of several conservative groups called Wednesday for uh, Mitch McConnell to step down as Senate Majority Leader, arguing the Kentucky Republican and the rest of his team should be ousted from their post because they have uh, not implemented the conservative agenda they promised. We call on all five members of the GOP Senate leadership to step down or for 
their caucus to remove them as soon as possible. Ken Cuccinelli, the former attorney general of Virginia, who now leads the Senate Conservatives Fund, said at a Wednesday press conference on Capitol Hill, all the leaders come from anti-Republican establishment organizations with ties to the Tea Party movement. They have long been thorns in McConnell's uh, side, and they've backed conservative challengers uh, to Republican incumbents in Senate races. They include representatives from Freedom Works, the Tea Party Patriots, and For America. If this was a football team and you'd lost this many times, you'd start seriously considering firing the coaches. That's a quote from David Bozell, the president of For America. They distributed a letter sent to McConnell where uh, they outlined the criticism of the GOP leadership. Some of the groups have called for McConnell's ouster before. You and the rest of your leadership team were given a majority because you pledged to stop the steady flow of illegal immigration, the letter states. You have done nothing. You pledged to reduce the size of this oppressive federal government. You have done nothing. You pledged to reduce and ultimately eliminate the out-of-control deficit spending that is bankrupting America. You have done nothing. You promised to repeal Obamacare, root and branch. You have done nothing. You promised tax reform. You have done nothing, the letter read. Well, the leader said they weren't backing specific lawmakers to replace McConnell and his deputies, but they did offer praise to several current senators. If I had to pick someone, I'd love to draft like um, a Pat Toomey, maybe, Freedom Works President Adam Brandon said of the Pennsylvania senator. There are a lot of different uh, of uh, different people out there who I think could unite this caucus and actually lead on some issues. Well, asked about Georgia Senator David Perdue, Jenny Beth Martin of the Tea Party Patriots suggested she could support him as leader. I'm from Georgia, Georgia rather, so I'm um, not opposed to him praising his background as a CEO before being elected to the Senate. Nonetheless, the letter has been issued. It will not be heeded by McConnell and his team, but they've made their requests known. President Trump and Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis today publicly refuted an NBC News report that claimed the commander in chief wanted to drastically increase the U.S. nuclear arsenal with Trump calling the press disgusting in quotes. On the sidelines of a meeting in the Oval Office with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the president slammed the NBC report that said he sought to nearly tenfold increase in the nuclear arsenal during a summer meeting. Frankly, it's disgusting, the president said. The press is able to write whatever it wants to write, and people should look into it. Trump uh, told reporters, I never discussed increasing the uh, nuclear arsenal. That is fake news by NBC, which gives a lot of fake news recently, end quote. Well, the president added that he only wants modernization and rehabilitation of the stockpile. It's got to be in tip-top shape, Trump said. I know the capability we have, and it is awesome. It is massive. Well, Trump continued to slam the press for allegedly making up uh, sources. There are no sources, he claimed. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Secretary Mattis issued a brief statement shortly afterwards saying recent reports that the president called for an increase in the U.S. nuclear arsenal are absolutely false. This kind of erroneous reporting is irresponsible. Well, the back and forth continued. The president openly threatened Wednesday to go after the licenses of NBC and the networks as he ratcheted up his complaints about fake news. With all the fake news coming out of NBC and the networks, he said, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license? Bad for country. 
uh, would have been nice in there. He tweeted, well, this was uh, after the challenge. He uh, uh, he challenged rather the accuracy of an NBC News report that said he sought a nearly tenfold increase of fake news at uh, or fake at NBC News made up a story that I wanted a tenfold increase. He went on to say, well, the president's comments reportedly came during a gathering with national security leaders. NBC reported that Trump's comments were in response to a briefing uh, slide that was uh, presented showing a decrease in U.S. nuclear weapons since the 1960s. Trump indicated he wanted a bigger stockpile, not uh, the bottom position on that downward slope curve, the NBC News reported. Officials reportedly were surprised by Trump's suggestion, but said no expansion in the nuclear arsenal was planned. The representative for NBC News did not immediately respond uh, to questions about the story, though MSNBC host uh, Ali Velshi tweeted that the network stands by its reporting. And so the back and forth continues. Well, President Trump today nominated White House Deputy Chief of Staff Kirsten Nielsen to be the new Secretary of Homeland Security. If confirmed, she would replace White House Chief of Staff John Kelly. Uh, Kelly served as Trump's um, uh, DHS chief for just over six months before replacing Reince Priebus as chief of staff on the 31st of July. Elaine Duke has been uh, filling in uh, as acting secretary in the meantime. Nielsen would be the first former DHS staffer to lead the department, which was created by former President George W. Bush in 2003. Nielsen had served as Kelly's deputy at DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and followed him to the White House when he replaced Priebus. Uh, Her departure leaves Kelly looking to fill another crucial administrative vacancy. Nielsen is an expert in homeland and national security policy. She previously worked as a special assistant to George W. Bush and was the transportation secretary uh, administration or worked for the administration. In a New York Times profile last month, Nielsen was described as um, brusque and no nonsense. The piece claimed that uh, some in the administration had chafed under a woman asserting power and made her a target for the uh, anger that they could not express uh, at um, at Kelly. So uh, we'll see how this um, how this plays with the uh, administration and the cabinet, which she has been nominated to assume that position. Well, you might remember when Bernie Sanders passionately attacked budget office nominee Russell Voigt because Voigt believes salvation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ, something Christianity has taught for two millennia. Well, it looks like it's open season for others uh, uh, to hunt down and destroy uh, any Christian nominated to public office, especially if that Christian doesn't toe the line of environmental political correctness. Well, forget Article 6 of the Constitution that insists no religious test shall ever be required as the qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Michael Dorson, whom Trump has nominated to head the federal environment Environmental Protection Agency's Chemical Safety Office is taking the same kind of fire. Dorson is an environmental health professor at the University of Cincinnati's College of Medicine. He's a board-certified toxicologist with an international reputation for excellence in environmental risk assessment. He co-published more than 150 papers on risk assessment methods and chemical-specific uh, analyses, but he's also a Christian who, like any serious Christian, tries to integrate his faith with all of his life. That just doesn't sit well with some folks. Raymond Barfield, a professor of pediatrics and Christian philosopher um, at Duke University, is upset. It seems Dorson wrote that chemical analysis provides some evidence that the Shroud of Turin, which allegedly wrapped Jesus in his uh, burial, might be authentic. 
Dorson's not uh, sure. Sounds like an attitude of a good scientist. But nonetheless, that was a point that was uh, raised to suggest he was not fit for the position. Uh, There's more. Dorson isn't convinced that the chemical risks from flame retardant fabrics outweigh the fire prevention benefits. He points out that exposures from consumer products were much lower than those involved in a study claiming significant risk. That's a fairly typical weakness of many environmental risk studies. They expose laboratory animals to extremely high levels of a suspect chemical, discover ill effects, then try to extrapolate to human risk at much lower exposure levels. Well, Barfield disagrees and seeks to discredit Dorson because uh, he made $10,000 consulting for a flame retardant industry group as any private citizen and professor called upon to do so might. But um, uh, just another example. By the way, in McMinnville, dozens of protesters lined the street there ahead of the uh, U.S. Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, visiting McMinnville High School this afternoon. DeVos uh, requested a visit there to learn about the excellent instructional practices making a difference for students. And she was greeted rather, well, not warmly, but rather coolly, Uh, by residents there. Up next, we're going to talk with Chip Ingram, his book, Why I Believe, straight answers to honest questions about God, the Bible, and Christianity. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, in our post-Christian society, responding to the perception that Christians are anti-intellectual and bigoted has become a greater challenge for us. We are often intimidated. We withdraw and we even have doubts. Well, in his straightforward style, Chip Ingram, senior pastor of Venture Christian Church and CEO of Living on the Edge, provides readers like you and me with answers to many of the questions that arise either in our conversation or in our own hearts. His latest book is titled Why I Believe, Straight Answers to Honest Questions About God, the Bible, and Christianity. He provides answers, proof, and insight into topics that skeptics and even believers have questions about. He invites you to uh, go on a journey with him, uh, searching the scriptures and demonstrating that what we believe is worth believing and explaining why we believe what the scriptures have to say. Well, my guest, Chip Ingram, is, as I mentioned, the senior pastor of Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos, California. He's a best-selling author and teaching pastor and CEO of Living Edge, uh, rather Living on the Edge, an international teaching and discipleship ministry. He's a pastor um, of uh, over 30 years. Years. He has a unique ability to communicate truth and challenge people to live out their faith. He is the author of many books, including Culture Shock, The Real Heaven, The Invisible War, and Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships. He and his wife have four grown children, 11 grandchildren, and again, live in California. We are delighted to have you with us. Thanks for coming back. It is my privilege. Thanks so much for having me on. You begin in the book um, retelling your own experience. You were a bit of a skeptic even as a young person. Um, You witnessed hypocrisy that influenced your uh, perception of and view of Christianity from the very beginning. Tell us a little bit of your journey that led to you being a skeptic and how that led ultimately to your answering others' questions who might be skeptical about the faith. Uh, you know, I think my mom and dad were really great people, and we went to a non-Bible-believing church, and uh, I really trusted them. They were, uh, you know, really wonderful, and and yet, you know, it was like church was like, you got to be kidding. I mean, the hypocrisy was just so um, obvious, and no one expected anyone. It was like there was a game being played in front of me, and I think I've just always been kind of hardwired if someone said, this is true. No matter what they said, it was like, 
Yeah, really? Okay, based on what and why? And just always had that kind of mind. And so I opted out and just thought, you know, this is, I don't believe this could really be true. I thought I was, you know, this was sort of a game that adults played to keep kids in uh, moral check until they're old enough to realize none of this is really true. And so, you know, I didn't become antagonistic. It was just like, I just stayed it out. I don't need church. Um, I, I don't. I can't tell you that I was an atheist by any stretch, but if there is a God, I don't know what he's like, but I literally remember thinking, if he's like the people in this church, I'm not sure I'd want to know him. And uh, that's a harsh criticism, but you know, you're you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, and uh, none of it made sense. And so I kind of had this jaundiced view, and, and then, of course, there was enough crazy stuff back then and now on TV that, you know, I would just say to myself, now, I don't know who these Christians are, but they're just saying crazy stuff and asking people for money. Uh, and it was just crazy. Uh, by God's grace, I met a group of people that lived out their faith, that introduced me to the New Testament. I'd never read the Bible. And um, as a result of that, came to know Christ personally and really began to grow after a little bit of a rocky start. And um, it was just a revolution in my heart and my life, my values, and a joy uh, that I could not contain. And after about four years of being a Christian and, you know, I've gotten a Bible study and I was at a secular campus and I had uh, the chairman of the department that I majored in was just a neat, white-haired sort of elderly guy that, you know, was the kind of person you always looked up to like a father figure. And I remember uh, I'd graduated from college and a couple days later we're going to walk across the stage. And looking back, I think that professor had been waiting uh, to ask me this question because I liked him and I certainly wasn't the smartest student by any stretch, but I, I was a good student. I, you know, I got good grades, and I was an eager learner. And I still remember, literally, um, outside of this brick building, and ivy on the background, and the sun coming through, and and he just tilted his head and crossed his arms, and said, "Chip, it's been such a delight to have you these years, and I just have a question that's kind of bothered me." And you know, I kind of leaned forward. He goes, "For someone who is apparently..." Um, so intellectually astute. It just boggles my mind that you actually believe in a literal Jesus, the Bible, and all this born-again stuff. And I'm not sure I was so intellectually astute. Maybe I had him fooled. But it it wasn't a criticism. It was like a father figure going, I had such high hopes for you, and you're throwing your brains in the trash, and it's so sad. And I remember walking away, Georgianne, from that conversation thinking, number one, He asked me two or three good questions I didn't have answers for. And I thought, I'm not going to throw my brains in the trash to be a Christian. Uh, Second, I thought, I'm not going to let really smart people in academia intimidate me into being a non-Christian. And so my only other option was, I'm going to search this out. I don't know if this is true. I don't have answers to what he said, but I'm going to go after this. And God, you know, you, you, you should stand up to the truth. And that began a journey many, many years ago that has kind of ended up after a lot of refinements and a lot of experiences in this little book. Well, I so appreciate um, the first two things that you resolved to do. One, that you would not throw your brains in the trash. And I think the perception is that's that's a requirement if you're going to be a serious uh, believer. But the other thing was that you weren't going to allow others to dissuade you from your faith. You were going to press in and discover, as you expected, that in fact what you believed was reliable, it's based on evidence, it's reasonable, and, and all of those things. I think a lot of our listeners may be in the same position, but don't quite know where to begin 
to affirm some of the things that they know to be true in Scripture. They are, they have a vibrant relationship with Christ, but are a little uncomfortable on how to answer some of the challenging questions. And your book, uh, Why I Believe, is designed to help with that? You know, it really is, and I, I, I say this, uh, you know, I wrote to a bunch of my friends who were gracious and endorsed it, and I wrote a letter to them, um, and just one, you know, Ken Boa and Andy Stanley and Kay Arthur and Kyle Ottoman, just great, great people, and I said, look, this is what I wrote to them. I'm not Ravi Zacharias, you know, I'm not J.P. Moreland, I'm not William Lane Craig. There's brilliant apologists. This book is not designed uh, for people that are these deep, honest skeptics that need these brilliant people. I said, I've been doing research all these years, and I talk with regular people. What I've done is I put together what I thought was a, a shorter, simple book that of regular people like us could sit across a coffee table with a family member or even just in our own heart. When uh, The title is really informative. It's why I personally believe and so rather than it being sort of like, uh, here's what you need to know about this, and here's the how to answer that, it's a lot more of, you know, these were the doubts that I had. Why don't you go on a journey with me? Because I, I wondered, I mean, how do we know Jesus ever lived? How do you know, you know, that he rose from the dead? How do we know, is part of the Bible true, all of the Bible true? I mean, it's been translated all these hundreds of years. And, you know, all those were the things I had. So I just kind of walked through those things, and then I took basically what all those really smart people have done, and I think put it in a more simple, accessible way that, um, you know, I'm thinking of a mom, a dad, especially knowing what happens to our kids in college or a college student, new believer. You know, I really love God, but when people ask me those questions, I don't have a very good mm-hmm. answer, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what this is geared for. Now, you um, outlined questions that you had coming along. Are there some common questions that you're asked about faith and Christianity? You know, and I've been a pastor a lot of years, but I was a coach before I was a pastor. And honestly, I think there's only five or six questions, maybe seven, that there's variations. But once you get these clear and down and know not just what the Bible says, but what does science say? Uh, what's the best research in psychology? I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, all, of, all truth is God's truth. And I've, I'm, I'm shocked, amazed, and encouraged by uh, how, how reasonable and intellectually feasible it is to be a serious Christian. And so, you know, the first one is, you know, did Jesus ever live? I mean, or is it just a fairy tale? Uh, is he a historical figure? Uh, did he, what, is it credible, all the things that we read in the New Testament, did he really say that, or did people put that in their mouth? And, you know, it's amazing the documents that we have. Then, did he rise from the dead? Everything hinges on that. You know, this historical figure that everyone thinks and believes is wonderful and kind and caring, and, and uh, all of history is built around. And then I think you go to, um, you know, some of the questions about, can I trust the Bible? I mean, Wow, it's a miracle that someone would rise from the dead, but he actually, Jesus, out of his own lips, authenticated all the Old Testament and said not a jot or a tittle. Those are those just part of a Hebrew letter. I will not go away. His word will be fulfilled. And, and then you've got to ask questions like, well, what happens after you die? Is there life after death? Um, you know, then the science question is, is, did we just macro... Darwinian time plus random chance evolve, or is there a creator? And then, you know, you've got a lot of religions, so it's pretty narrow, 
and politically incorrect to say, Jesus, the God of the Bible, is the one true God. And so what are the reasons that you would really believe that, and what's the evidence? Yeah. So th- th- those are, I think, those are sort of the meat and potatoes of the questions you have to ask and answer. And when you get those real clear, I think you can talk about just about anything. We're going to continue our conversation with Chip Ingram. Again, he's senior pastor of Venture a Christian Church in Los Gatos, California. He's also a best-selling author. His latest, Why I Believe, straight answers to honest questions about God, the Bible, and Christianity. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Chip Ingram, his latest book, Why I Believe. And he offers in the book straight answers to honest questions about God, the Bible, and Christianity. And who among us doesn't want to have clear answers to those questions? We may have formulated in our own mind, we know the answers, but how do we articulate them to someone who may have uh, have questions? Uh, why do I believe in the resurrection? Why do I believe in the Bible? Life after death. Uh, creation. Why do we believe in the God of the Bible? These are the kinds of questions that he addresses in the book. Uh, l- let me ask you um, uh, how this book is different from most books on apologetics. You mentioned earlier that this really is a reflection of your journey of answering these critical and central questions to the faith. But for our, for our listeners, how might this differ from other books that, that address these kinds of issues? Well, I think uh, most of them are really geared toward uh, skeptics. Therefore, they're very thick um, they're, they're pretty technical. I mean, I've listened, you know, by God's grace, you know, I, I have, I think, probably just enough education and just enough intelligence to listen to the brilliant people and say, okay, I, I think I understand most of it, and then translate that. But I think a lot, what happens to, I think, a lot of normal us Christians is I'll hear someone speak, and they'll give this amazing talk, or there's a chapter on archaeology, and there's fine print, and it's like five, six hundred pages. And it's just like, wow. At some point you think, you know what, that is really helpful and convincing, and I'm sure glad he's on our team or she's on our team, but I don't think I could explain that to anyone. That's over my head. And so I think uh, what I did is I, I, I you know, give references to those and, and books for people to consult, but I think the difference is this is really written in many ways as an apologetic for Christians. How do you know what you believe is true so that you can stand up and be competent? And, and how can you get your hands on it in um, just a few pages without being simplistic, but simple, clear? I've even, you know, because I know how kind of life works as a pastor, I laid out the chapters and when, like the chapter on the resurrection, here's seven reasons. Well, then all the reasons are in bold. And then here's sort of a, like a lawyer Exhibit A, B, C, D, it's laid out, I think, so that someone can, okay, you know, I can glance through this and sit down and say, okay, yeah, that, now that makes sense. And then there's ways that people go check out if they want to go a little bit deeper. So I think it's a, a bit more of a, of a journey and being able to, as someone said, if you can get the framework to a picture in one of those, you know, 15,000 puzzles, uh, the rest of the colors fit in pretty well. And I think for a lot of people, apologetics and their faith is so big, so overwhelming. What I think I've done is given you a sort of the framework that is clear and accurate, but um, it's not so overwhelming that you don't get lost. 
Has your your background as a skeptic been helpful to you in uh, helping to address other people's uh, questions about the faith and perhaps skepticism? Yeah, you know, it really has. Uh, I mean, even before I was a Christian and today, I mean, I'm, I just unapologetically, I'm a skeptic. When, when I hear someone speak or a documentary or someone says, oh, this is true and this is Internet article, my first thought, I mean, my first thought is, eh, really? Based on what? I don't, I don't, know, if the, I don't know if I buy that. Uh, and, uh, in fact, I've, I've been coaching a few young pastors, and we've been talking about how to communicate. I said, when I get done writing my message, because this was me, I picture someone who walks in after the service starts. Uh, he or she is sitting in the back one or two rows. Their arms are crossed, and this is what they're thinking. I don't believe a word you're saying. You've got to convince me that you're real and what you're saying is real and accurate and true. And I said, if you go after that person and you reach them, everyone else in the, in the room is going to get it. And so uh, I think it's been helpful, especially here in the Silicon Valley, uh, the Bay Area. I think less than 3% would be followers of Christ. It's multicultural. It's super intellectual. And I think being a skeptic has helped me understand people. And, and uh, honestly, uh, Georgine, I usually start with a lot of listening. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your history. Oh, you grew up in a Hindu family. Oh, you grew up in a Buddhist family. Oh, you were kind of, your mom and dad were in New Age. Oh, your parents went through a divorce. Well, how did that affect you? You know, what do you believe? What do you think, what do you think happens to you uh, after you die? Or, and I find if we'll listen and ask questions and build a, and really care, they almost always ask me. And then, you know, they've heard all the things. Well, well how could you ever believe such an ancient book? Well, well let me tell you. And I think instead of shouting or yelling or being angry and, and bringing a bunch of heat, I think we can bring light and love and relationship. I wanted this book to be not just this is the what to believe, but there's a tone, there's an attitude, there's a heart that when you share with family and friends and coworkers that I think is just about as important as the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Were there new discoveries about Christianity um, that you found in your uh, research for, for this book? You know, uh, this is one of those things that you keep reading and reading, studying, studying, and uh, two or three that come to mind. One was, you know, it's a historical faith. And uh, some of the biggest arguments have been, you know, Jesus didn't really live, no one's ever heard of Pontius Pilate, etc., and, uh, you know, they've now found uh, tablets with Pontius Pilate's uh, name on it. I found uh, there was a, a document recently um, that uh, 1207, they date it back to 1207 B.C., that an Egyptian king made reference to Israel as a nation. Um, and then in the scientific area, that is, uh, I feel like I almost need to rewrite that chapter about every two years, it is amazing uh, what's happened in the area of uh, macro-Darwin evolution. Many, many, I mean, brilliant non-Christian scientists are saying, wait a second, you know, the basis of all this is that it goes from simple to complex, and now that we've, uh, we see DNA, we see what's inside the nucleus of a cell, uh, nothing about this in any way is... Um, you know, it was simple. And so, yeah, for example, the, the guy that won the Nobel Prize for discovering DNA, Francis Crick, he said, I went into science to just combat religion. He apparently had a terrible religious experience. And so he discovers all the complexity of DNA and 
he was asked, he said, is there any possibility that DNA could have just come about by random chance? His answer, absolutely none. Now, he, talk about a non-Christian. I mean, he, but his point is the complexity, the design. Uh, there's so much happening right now, and it, it doesn't get taught in schools, and uh, the people uh, that are, I mean, Christian scientists, but non-Christian scientists, are, are really putting some stuff in print that I never dreamed would happen in my lifetime. Mm. Strong evidence. Really encouraging. Why do you think it's important for us to be able to um, settle, certainly in our own mind, but also to be able to articulate why we have confidence and, and believe what the Scriptures teach and what uh, the, the, the God of the Bible? Why is it important for us to settle these issues, first for ourselves and then for others, particularly at this time? Well, I think we're living in a day that um, being a Christian is more and more unpopular. Uh, I think persecution is increasing, and there's a kind of stigma to being a believer that you are anti-intellectual, or even if you disagree with some politically correct position. I mean, you don't have to attack or say a word. If you don't agree, uh, you're viewed as a prejudiced, hateful person. And I think we uh, have to move from, I intellectually agree and believe this, as we maybe have in the past, but when it's really challenged, what you thought you believed, you don't know what you believe until it's challenged, we need convictions. And convictions where I'm willing to stand regardless of the cost do not come by having a casual knowledge of this is what I've heard. It comes by studying, research, and, and knowing this is true. This is intellectually defensible. I, I can stand strong. I'm not throwing my brains in the trash. In fact, the more I study, the more I realize um, other people are exercising a lot greater faith to believe what they believe than I am. And so I think it gives people convictions. And I think we're living in a day where if we are called to reach the whole world, and Jesus said that I was born for this purpose, and then he says to testify to the truth. And he passed that on to us. Mm-hmm. We're to testify to the truth. You can't testify to what's not in your heart and what you don't know. Well, one great resource to help you clarify what the Bible teaches and why we should have confidence in it, why I believe straight answers to honest questions about God, the Bible, and Christianity. Chip Ingram, thank you so much for joining us today. Georgine, my privilege, and a big shout-out to lots of friends there in the Portland area, and uh, God bless you all. And you as well. Bye-bye. By the way, the book is published by Baker Books and is available, Why I Believe. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to be back in just a few moments news and traffic up next you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq hey welcome back to the second hour of the georgine rice show later this hour we'll be talking with joan lippis with novea ministries she's holding a seminar here in the portland area later this month israel and the church the untold story details when she joins us later well president trump is expected to sign an executive order this week that's going to roll back health insurance regulations put in place under the previous administration the order we're told will direct the department of health and human services labor and treasury to make it easier for individuals to group together and purchase insurance through an association health plan or plans. The American people, however, are going to feel this um, uh, failure of the previous program in much more important ways than the political uh, emphasis that's been made most recently. And here to talk with us about what we might expect is Ed Heiselmeyer. He's a senior health policy advisor at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Now, under the previous administration, there was a lot of criticism over the overuse 
dose of executive orders. First of all, let me ask you if the president has the authority to to extend the executive orders that we are uh, led to believe uh, that he is going to issue sometime this week. Uh, yes, he does, because my understanding of it is that these are instructions to his subordinates, the secretaries of the cabinet departments that you mentioned, Treasury, HHS, Department of Labor, uh, to review the regs. And he's going to, I would assume, give them guidance on what he'd like to see in there. But uh, none of that actually changes the law or the regulations right away. What happens is that those uh, agencies will review and publish uh, revised, proposed revised regulations. There'll be the normal notice and comment period, uh, if, and then they'll publish their final regulations in response to that. And they'll go into effect. So there's a standard process for revising regulations, and I presume that that would be followed. Well, we're being uh, led to believe that this order is aimed at expanding insurance options for Americans who buy their coverage on their own or work for a small employer. Do we have much by way of detail of what to expect from this uh, rule change by the administration? We don't, but folks like me who follow this stuff and and are, uh, I guess, masochistically familiar (laughs) with employee law and insurance law uh, have some idea of what they're likely to do. Uh, Most of it, I think, is going to probably address small businesses uh, what you have to understand as background to this is that a number of regulations and, and changes in the law in Obamacare were imposed on the individual and small business market, and by that, the, the definition is businesses with 50 or fewer workers. Uh, large businesses, whether they uh, self-insured on their own or bought insurance from a, a group insurance plan from an insurer, uh, we're not subject to all of the uh, of all of those regulations. They're subject to some. Some apply to everybody, uh, but in particular, things like the essential benefits requirements that added new benefits, which of course are costly, uh, to coverage that only applied to individual and small employer markets. So the theory is, and I think there's some room for them to do this, is that well, if there's a way for small businesses to group together and buy as one a large employer plan, then they would not be subject to some of those Obamacare regulations. And I think there's probably room in the law for them to to uh, sanction arrangements like that. This has been something that's out there already. Uh, it's really sort of uh, maybe tinkering with the parameters of what qualifies as a legitimate association. So who will, will will benefit for the most part? And is this um, this stopgap, if you will, likely to inspire Congress to take this issue of re- repeal or replace up again more seriously? Or is, is political pressure sufficient for that to happen at some point in the not-too-distant future? Well, I think the political pressure would, would continue for a while on this. Uh, and what this does is uh, show some incremental progress uh, for people who have been adversely affected. When we see the uh, stories about premiums increasing, deductibles increasing, insurers leaving the market, uh, people not being able to you know, have fewer plan choices, those effects have been primarily concentrated on the individual and small employer markets. Uh, not so much on the big employers. If you work for a large employer, you probably haven't seen much change in, in, in your health care. You're probably paying a bit more due to some of the Obamacare regulations, but it's not a sharp increase. So this is, I think, a 
feasible and, and, and you know, uh, necessary attempt in the, while waiting for Congress to do more to at least try to provide some relief. The administration did some of that, by the way, at the beginning of its term with an initial uh, uh, set of regulatory reforms. Uh, then the action or the focus, if you will, shifted to Congress as they debated repeal and replace. Now that they didn't successfully enact something, it sort of shifted back to the administration. So the second tier of possible things the administration could do uh, are now coming into play, and I think that's what you're seeing here. With the failure in the Senate to pass anything, do, will, should we expect that there will be a conference between the Senate and the House to try to work something out between them that is acceptable? Is that what we should expect to see next, or what might we expect? Yeah, I don't know. I, I would expect to see that there are other things that the administration might be able to do in terms of some of the regulations. Some of this stuff just takes time to do. Um, I don't know really what Congress is going to do. Uh, that's very hard to judge. They're now focused sort of on tax reform. But it's pretty clear that the the concerns and the, and the political pressure is still there for them to act when you look at the polling data, when you look at what's going on in the market. And I think they feel that, too. I mean, we, we saw the, the effort in the Senate uh, didn't get enough votes, but then suddenly came back as they did one more try with the so-called Graham-Cassidy bill. That, too, didn't get enough votes. But I, I think they were responding to the fact that people still want them to do something. So, uh, But I just can't predict when they're going to yeah. you know, be able to, to get past the hurdles they've encountered so far. Well, we'll just keep I mean, our basic, eyes and ears the open. The basic problem is they don't have any... The basic problem is even though uh, individuals and small businesses in states represented by Democrat senators are also suffering, the Democrats so far have not seemed willing to, to make substantive changes to the law. Mm. Well, I appreciate your uh, taking the time to talk with us. Have a good evening. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Ed Heiselmeyer again with the Heritage Foundation. Up next, we're going to talk with Joan Lippis with Novea Ministry. She's here in the Portland area to present a seminar. It's a six-part seminar spanning three days. We'll give you all the important details. By the way, portions of today's program are brought to you by Zero Res. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, 21 minutes after 5 o'clock. Well, I am so delighted that with me in studio once again is Joan Lippis with Novea Ministry. She's here in the Portland area for a short season, uh, but she's going to be presenting a seminar, Israel and the Church, the Untold Story. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October the 20th through the 22nd at New Hope Church here in Clackamas. want to make sure you have all the important details on that and how to uh, let her know, yes, I want to participate in this uh, tremendous opportunity. But first, welcome, Joni. It's a good uh, good thing to have you back here. It's always good to be back, as people don't know. I saw you and I went running down the hall just to say hello. You're a good friend, Georgine. Well, we meet either Dan. here yeah. or in Israel. So. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Absolutely. Forever, forever. Well, for listeners who aren't familiar with you and the work that God has called you to, tell us a little bit about Joni and Novea. Novea is a comes from a Hebrew word, which means bursting or bubbling forth. We see it in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God day after day, they novea, and we see it in Psalm 145, that we will celebrate God's goodness. And when God just put this on my heart that I needed to do that, I needed to bubble forth and go forth, and I was looking around for a ministry to connect with, and I couldn't for one reason or another. Basically, they said I was too old. 
<laughs> they said, we can't conform you to our image. You just got to go and do your thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We developed Novea as a nonprofit in 91. And the mission statement of the ministry, which is the mission statement of my life, is to fill the earth with the knowledge of God's glory. And that word knowledge in Hebrew, Yodea, is the he, the word that means it comes, it's a knowledge that comes from relationship as you and Dan know each other and you know each other more and more and more the longer you're married. And so God wants a personal relationship with everyone in the world. And our job is to fill our little portion of the earth with our understanding of who God is. You have a different part of the earth than I do. And you have a different way of knowing God than I do. But when we both do our part, the world gets filled with the knowledge Mm -hmm, of God's mm -hmm. glory. So that's what I do. I just proclaim um, my passion is evangelism. That's what I do. But more and more, the Lord is is bringing me into the teaching realm. Well, your passion and your gifting. It's amazing to me. You can sit down in a shoe store and be trying on a shoe. (laughs) And somehow, Joan will be able to bring the gospel up in a way that's compelling, that people want to to hear it. So I I always delight in hearing stories about how you just happened upon someone and a conversation ensued. Now, you were a Jewish background believer. Mm -hmm. You lived here in the Portland area for a season, and God called you to go and live in Israel, where you have a unique opportunity and a unique perspective to, to minister to God's people um, and to uh, minister to the Jewish people um, the, the truth of God's word. Why did he call you to go there to do that? Because that's what his word says. He, his word says, in the latter days, at the end of time, I will lift my hand a second time and no longer will you say the God who brought us out of Egypt, but the God who's bringing us back. So I am the manifestation that God's word is true. I am Jew. My knee is bowed to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have citizenship in Israel. Now, how how challenging <clears throat> is it for you to be a believer in Israel? Are you embraced? Is it a challenge for you to share the gospel, or, or is this a... Uh, an unusual situation for someone like yourself to be in. Golly, I don't know how to answer that. Um, My family thinks I'm out of my mind, but because of God's grace, I am accepted. People don't necessarily agree with me, but when you preach the truth in love, the doors are open, and no, I don't have a problem at all. Mm. Now, you're here in the Portland area for a variety of reasons, but one of the things you're going to be doing is teaching a seminar Um, on Israel and the church. Um, Tell us why this is a subject that we ought to be interested in and know about. We are familiar with the challenges we face today in trying to share the gospel with our Jewish friends, but why should we understand and know the history of Israel and the church? I want to go back to what happened and why it happened. I think a personal testimony will explain it better because you know me, you've known me very well for a long time, and you've never heard me talk about these things. Yes, I like to teach the church about the, 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 the Feast of the Lord because it's all about Jesus, but I've never thought of terms of you are a Gentile and I am a Jew. I just don't think mm-hmm. in those terms. I recently went back to Germany, my second visit in Germany and second visit in Rome. I knew God wanted to do something in my heart. I just figured it had something to do with the Holocaust. I, I, you know, and I was ready. When I went to Germany, I was in Saxony, and I was surrounded. I was ministering to the children and the grandchildren of Nazis. Um, and it was a love fest. They looked at me. I looked at them. We saw Jesus. We loved each other. You know, it just flowed. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But then I knew I had to go to Berlin. And when I went to Berlin, we stopped in Wittenberg. 
Now, Wittenberg was the place you, you're shaking your head, yes, Wittenberg was the, the home of Luther. And, you know, I stood in front of the church where he nailed his thesis, and then I went down the block and I went to Luther's church. While I was standing in the bookstore, I was looking at the postcard and I saw this weird picture on, on, the, on the postcard. And I said, what is this? And they said, it's the Judensau. What's Judensau? Juden is Jew. Sow is a female pig. And it was very prominent in the 15th. Actually, it started in the 12th century. And what it does for, I'm sorry for being so graphic, use your imagination, it is religious Jews, you know that they're men because they have the sideburns and the the big brim, they are in every despicable gesture, a sexual gesture with this pig, mm. from sucking at its teeth to looking in its anus. Not only was that on a postcard in the church, but it is in a sculpture on the side of the church. They're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and there is Judensau on the outside of his church. Well, I ran from the church. I wanted to throw up. I felt dirty. I didn't know what I felt. And my, my friends you know, were very, very upset. Well, let's jump over to Rome. I, second time I was in Rome, I went to the Jewish ghetto. I went through the Jewish museum and I saw all the plaques of what the Pope had, the popes had said for many, many, many centuries. And when I got to the one that said, it is absurd for a people whom God considers demonic and, and, and he just goes on and on with all these horrible things. It is absurd for Jews to live next door to Christians. And that was it. I ran from there. I was screaming. I was upset. And I had just bought a little cross in Germany because I love the cross. And it's a symbol of everything that I believe in. And I was saying to my friend, I am going to pull this cross off my hand. I never want to hear the word Christian. I never want to go to a church. I am through. And slowly, quietly, the Holy Spirit said, now, Joan, don't look at the church. Look at Jesus. Yes. But I was so upset. It was... It was visceral. That, that's the only thing I can say. It went so down deep, and for the first time, I got it. I understood 2,000 years of anti-Semitism coming in the name of Jesus. I understood the Messianic movement. I understood why Jewish believers say, we're not Christian, we're not going to the church, we're Jews. And I keep saying, don't be ridiculous, of course we're Christians. Now I was understanding it. Doesn't mean I liked it, doesn't mean I agree but I was seeing that in the spiritual realm, it's like, it's like there was a tree and suddenly the tree was split and the Jews were going on one side and the Gentiles were going on the other and now everybody's confused and they're going back and forth and back and forth and who's a Jew and who's a Gentile? None of that matters. And that's what people have to hear me say. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues, if you raise your hand, if you celebrate the feast, if you don't celebrate. It doesn't matter as long as our identity is 100% in Christ. We are the one new man. Is there a difference? Of course there's a difference. There's a difference between men and women in the natural. So there's a dif difference between Israel and, and the Jews and the, and the Gentiles in the natural, but not in the spiritual. And so the reason I say this is so important, and it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do, mm. is to understand God's heart in all of this. We are his children, and God's heart is breaking for the division. 
And so the Jews have got to forgive and the Gentiles have to repent. So we, we're all at blame. I mean, there's enough blame for yeah. everybody right now. But we have got to come together rejoicing in our differences, understanding the past. You know, we just want to sweep it under the, under the blood of the Jesus. But you can't do that. Especially if you want to minister to those um, who don't know Christ, of but course. know that history. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. We're talking with Joan Lippis, Novea Ministry. She's here in the Portland area, and we'll be presenting Friday through Sunday, October the 20th through the 22nd, Israel and the Church, the Untold Story at New Hope Church here in Clackamas. If you'd like to attend, let me encourage you to email her at Joni at Novea.org. That's Joni, J-O-N-J-O-A-N-I-E, at Novea, N-O-V-E-A dot org. We also have that on the Facebook page and at kpdq.com. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and we're talking with uh, Joan Lippis of Novea Ministry. We are talking about a seminar she is presenting here in the metro area, Israel and the Church, the Untold Story, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Sunday rather, October the 20th through the 22nd at New Hope Church. And if you would l- like to attend, I want to encourage you to email her at Joni, that's J-O-A-N-I-E, Joni at Novea.org, N-O-V-E-A. It's also on kpdq.com, and you can go to the Georgine Gene Rice Show Facebook page for that email address as well. Well, let's talk about these six sessions that make up this three-day seminar on Israel and the church. God help me. <laughs> I'm exhausted just reading oh, through oh, it. I am too. I am very. If you don't have all three days, I understand it. The first session is more of an introduction, and it's it's just laying the foundation. Why is this important? What are we going to do? Why are we here? Um, and definitions, because when I say the church in this context, I am talking about anyone, regardless of their relationship with God or with Jesus, who attend an organization and do rituals and stuff. To make the differentiation, I say the body. The body are the born again, redeemed under the blood of Jesus Christ, the called out ones. So when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about a completely different institution that not necessarily is filled with believers Mm -hmm. versus the body. So that first introduction is recognizing we have a problem here and what are we going to do about it? The second one is understanding the root. Now, we certainly know about Pharaoh and, and Haman and Herod. But what we don't know is what happened in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed and now the Gentiles were coming in to the body and they were looking at, okay, we we know God's promises. We know that God chose Israel, but then he allowed the destruction of the temple. What happened? Well, right then in 70 AD came replacement theology. They said two and two didn't equal four. Two and two became five. And that's when it started. Well, God has chosen the Jews to show that they will never be forgiven again, that they're from the devil, and that God has changed direction. No more Israel, the church. 70 AD. And it has gone on until this very day. So that is part two. Part three is, okay, we had a split there between the Jews and the Gentiles. And now we start seeing 
the gap as it's widening, going and going and deeper and deeper. And that's where we start in with the Crusades and the Inquisition and what's called the host desecration and the blood libel and all these terrible, awful things that have been said about the Jewish people. Let me give you, since we're in Portland, remember 1991 and that wonderful time that we had a crusade downtown. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful, wasn't it? But did you know that it was a couple of blocks from the Jewish um, community down in the Southwest? And do you know the day, the first night of the crusade was on Rosh Hashanah? So the Jews are in temple blowing the shofar as 40,000 Christians were walking into a stadium. What was the message that was sent that word, that location, that day. There was a lack of sensitivity to the Jewish people as we held a crusade here. Okay, part four, unspeakable horrors. Um, Straight line from Martin Luther, the great reformist, to Hitler. When the Nazis were brought to the Nuremberg trials, what did they say? What are you yelling at us for? We just did what Luther told us to do. When I first came into the kingdom of God and I said, and I heard Luther, how great, I said, excuse me, do you know what that man did to us? And they didn't have a clue. Yeah, most people don't know that anti-Semitism part of his history. Part five is Israel today. Okay, so what has happened after all of these things, these 2,000 years, how was Israel reborn today? Well, there was the Balfour Declaration and San Remo and Sykes-Pico and World War I gave us the land, World War II gave us the motivation. So what's going on in Israel today? If God chose Israel to be the witness to the world of who he is, how is Israel today showing us who he is? And it's very exciting. Of course, we have our problems. We have our problems from within and we have our problems from without. And then finally, we get to the good part. We finally, we get to part six. Um, yeah, we got to go through some ugly stuff like the Ezekiel War and Gog and Magog and, and the tribulation, you know, minor stuff. But then we <laughs> get to the millennium or the messianic ki- kingdom. And then we get to the new Jerusalem and the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's, 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 a, it's a whole um, revelation of God's redemptive plan the part of the Jews, the part of the Gentiles, the part of Israel, the part of the church, because we are going to stand before God Almighty, and he is going to look at the sheep and the goats, and he's going to say, what did you do for my brethren? The church, both the evangelical and the Vatican, where were they in World War II? Well, what's coming is going to make that look like picnic, and we have our chance now to prepare the way. Are, what are we going to do? Well, if you want to better understand that history in light of the past, the present, and the future, let me encourage you to email Joni and let her know, yes, I plan to be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or some part of that series on October the 20th through the 22nd at New Hope Church. You're not going to get this uh, anywhere else. We're talking <laughs> about sure. Israel and the church, uh, the untold story. And uh, again, I would encourage you to uh, to email her and let uh, let. Uh, her know that you're planning on being there. Now, some of our listeners don't do email. If if they cannot email you, what do you suggest? Uh, WhatsApp me um, or send a text. Can they call here? 
Sure. Okay. Call me and let me know that they're, okay. you're planning to come. That's the thing. <laughs> Call yeah. here yeah. and I will. Oh, actually, I'm not. Yeah, I won't be here the next couple of days, but I'll be here after that. Okay, you can always leave a message at 503-786-9390. That's 503-786-9390 or 800-845-2162. You can just call the uh, the station. And uh, be sure to let me know, either uh, directly or through message, that you plan to come, and I'll call you back and fill you in on all the details. um, It's important. Head knowledge, if it doesn't lead to action, who cares? The action is to be like Daniel was. Daniel was a righteous man. When Daniel saw the time that they were getting ready to go back to Jerusalem, what did he do? He became a priestly intercessor. He began to repent on behalf of the sins of the people. He didn't do them. He was a righteous man. But he went before God and he said, we have done this and this and this and this and this, and I repent. My challenge to the Gentiles is to, to, to do that, to become the priestly intercessor. We have done this and this and this, but this is the truth. And then that's the Gentile part. The Jewish part is to forgive, is to forgive and say, we are brothers. We are both sons and daughters of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. The Jews have got to get over it, too. Hmm. And that's the action that I am encouraging people to take. Again, Israel and the Church, The Untold Story, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October the 20th through the 22nd at New Hope Church here in Clackamas. You can email Joan at Joni, J-O-A-N-I-E, at Novea.org, and that's N-O-V-E-A. That uh, email address is also on kpdq.com, The Georgine Rice Show, or on The Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. And if you don't do email and you'd like to come, just call us here at the station and leave a message for me, and I'll get back to, uh, to you with all the information. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention before you go is uh, in October of next year, uh, you're putting together a prayer journey. In fact, this is a great response to what we've just been talking about. Tell us a little bit about this opportunity to go to Israel for the purpose of prayer. It's wonderful when Christians come to the land and they are so impacted, but they don't impact the people. And so while we're going to be doing a tour, and we're going to be going to the biblical and the historical sites. We're also going to be doing this very thing that I've just said. We will go to some of these spots that you don't go to on a normal tour And we will renounce the lies of the past, and we will pray God's promises for Israel and the future. Um, And so you will not only be impacted as a Christian and as a lover of Jesus, but you are going to be impacting the land in the spiritual realm. And of course, knowing me, you know we're going to take you to the train station and to the shuk. So you have opportunities to engage with the people in some free time. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Joan, it's always a pleasure when you're back home because I still think this is home for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate your taking the time to talk with us. Thank you, Georgie. And I hope I can get you and Dan. I know there's some health challenges, but boy, would I love to walk these streets with you. Oh, as a we prayer. would love to do this. You're same. an intercessor. We'll be praying about that. Thank you. <laughs> Again, Joan Lippis, Novea Ministries. If you'd like to attend the Israel and the Church, the Untold Story Seminar, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October 20th through the 22nd, you can email her at joni at org, or you can call me here at the station. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Boy Scouts of America announced today that girls will soon be allowed to become Cub Scouts and to earn the coveted rank of Eagle Scout. 
according to which is, by the way, the organization's highest honor. Now, I don't know what this means for Girl Scouts. I'd be a little put out if I was a Girl Scout that you have to join the boys in order to get what apparently some girls uh, would like to have. I was a bluebird. I was a campfire girl growing up. And I have to admit, I envied the Girl Scouts just a little bit. They seem to have uh, more stuff going on. But nonetheless, uh, Boy Scouts say, yep, we're going to admit the girls over a period of time. Uh, Michael Serba, who's the chief executive of the Boy Scouts, said, we believe it is critical to evolve um, how our programs meet the needs of families interested in positive and lifelong experiences for their children. The Scouting Board of Directors voted unanimously to make the historic change in an organization that's been primarily for boys since its founding more than 100 years ago. Well, starting next year, according to the Boy Scouts, young girls can join Cub Scout units known as DENs. Uh, local scouting organizations can choose to have DENs for girls and DENs for boys, so they'd be uh, segregated, at least initially. Cub Scout DENs will be a single gender, all boys, all girls, the organization said in a statement. A separate program for older girls will be available in 2019, the Boy Scout said, enabling them to earn the rank of Eagle Scout. Well, the Boy Scout said the, the uh, moves reflect the change a changing nature of American life, and they added to the appeal of scouting programs that can serve the entire family. Now, I remember my brother growing up was a was a Cub Scout uh, and then a Boy Scout, and it seemed like they were always doing much cooler, useful stuff than I was as a campfire girl. Um, but uh, I, I don't know what the Girl Scouts are going to say about this this move, which may end up stripping them of some of their uh, their uh, female members. Um, and it's um. Shift, the Boy Scouts uh, say they are going to admit girls. They were founded in 1910, but that raises questions about uh, about the other scouting organizations. Uh, they pointed out that many scouting organizations in other countries already allow both genders. They use gender-free names such as Scouts Canada. But for now, the Boy Scouts label will remain. There are no plans to change our name at this point, the uh, spokesman said. Boy Scout leaders said the change was needed to provide more options uh, for parents, the values of scouting, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, kind, brave, reverent, for example, are important for both uh, young men and women. They, I guess, eliminated straight was one of the words that used to use. The, the announcement follows many months of outreach by the Boy Scouts of America that distributed videos and held meetings to discuss the possibility of expanding girls' participation beyond existing programs like um, venturing, exploring, and Sea Scouts. Uh, surveys conducted by the Boy Scouts showed strong support for the change among parents not currently connected to the Scouts, including Hispanic and Asian families uh, that the Boy Scouts of America have been trying to attract. Among families already in the scouting community, the biggest worry, according to um, Serba, was the uh, positive aspects of single-sex uh, comrade or, uh, comradeship rather might uh, be jeopardized. We'll make sure those environments are protected. What we're presenting is a fairly unique hybrid model, they say. Well, the Girl Scouts of, uh, of America, the Girl Scouts of USA, have criticized that initiative, saying it strains the century-old bond between the two organizations. Girl Scout officials have suggested that Boy Scouts of America move was uh, driven partially uh, by a need to boost revenue, and they contended there is fiscal stress in part because of past settlements paid by the Boy Scouts of America in sex abuse cases. In August, the presidents uh, of the Girl Scouts, uh, Kathy Hopkinson, or something like that, uh, Hannah, uh, she accused the Boy Scouts of seeking to covertly recruit girls into their program while disparaging the Girl Scouts operation. Uh, on Monday, Latino civic leader Charles Garcia, just days after being named to the Girl Scouts National Board, wrote an opinion piece 
for the Huffington Post, calling the BSA's uh, overture to girls a terrible idea. The Boy Scouts' house is on fire, Garcia wrote. Instead of addressing systematic issues of continuing sexual assault, financial mismanagement, and deficient programming, BSA's senior management wants to add an accelerant to the house fire by recruiting girls. So this will not happen lightly. Instead of recruiting girls, Garcia says that the Boy Scouts of America should focus on attracting more black, Latino, and Asian boys, particularly those from low-income households. Well, the Boy Scouts of America recently increased its annual membership fee for youth members and adult volunteers. Uh, but uh, Serba from the Boy Scouts said that the decision to expand the program for girls was not driven by financial factors. He expressed enthusiasm at the possibility that the, the uh, changes could draw hundreds of thousands more girls to uh, Boy Scouts of America or Scouts of America or something uh, over the next uh, several years. Um, as of um, March, Girl Scouts reported more than 1.5 million youth members and 749,000 adult members, down from just 2 million youth members and 800,000 adult members in 2014. The Boy Scouts, for their part, they say current youth participation is about 2.35 million down from 2.6 million in 2013 and more than 4 million in uh, peak years of the past. So the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts are going to very likely duke it out. What uh, ultimately will happen is not clear, but the Boy Scouts have already made it uh, known that they intend to encourage uh, girls and invite them to participate in some way in uh, Scouts of America. And I would assume that that would include the same kind of um, practice that traditionally has been a part of Boy Scouts of America in the past. By the way, earlier this year, the National Organization for Some Women urged the Boy Scouts to allow girls to join, so they were at least in part responsible. Uh, now said that it has uh, was inspired by the effort of a 15-year-old New York City girl, Sydney, um, Ireland, to emulate her older brother, who is an Eagle Scout. Unlike the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts have maintained girls-only status for all of their programs. The empowerment of girls is at the core of that mission, but apparently being an Eagle Scout is not part of it. We know that girls learn uh, best in an all-girl, uh, girl-led environment, said the uh, a psychologist who provides expertise on development for the Girl Scouts national program. The Boy Scouts' new policy on girls says... Uh, uh, was hailed by many others as being a, a move in the right direction for girls. But again, that's a matter of opinion. Depending on what color uniform you wear, you wear, you might think it's a good idea, a bad idea. But look for changes in the Boy Scouts of America and perhaps a little bit of pushback from the Girl Scouts USA um, as they are duking it out for uh, members and perhaps finances as well. Now, do the Boy Scouts, do they ever sell cookies or anything? What do they do? Do they just pay a fee and that? Girl Scouts and girls always have to sell something. I remember as a as a campfire girl, we had to sell cookies. I always hated that aspect of being in the program. You have to go to your neighbors and family members and ask them to buy stuff. And that was always a bit unpleasant uh, for me and perhaps a challenge for others. Now they can actually set up shop inside the entry of a grocery store. And I find myself trying to look away so that I don't make eye contact with a cute little girl in uniform saying, would you like to buy a box of cookies? Anyway, we'll see what happens in the uh, in the months ahead. All right, we're out of time. I want to thank Clark Hilton for uh, engineering today's program, James Blinn for engineering a portion of and uh, producing all of today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. By the way, for you uh, campfire girls out there, whoa, hilo, you know what I mean. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. 
Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.